Hello and welcome to part two of the December edition of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. If you missed the part one, then you can go back and listen to our discussion around the appointment of new manager Rob Edwards and the exclusive interview that Kevin Harper did with him. Uh, Kev's not here today, which is the first time your usual host has been absent. The congested Christmas schedule hits footballers and podcasters alike, but he'll be back in January. Uh, for now, I'm James Cunliffe, who has temporarily been promoted from ranter in chief to sit on the host hot seat. And I still have with me Trust Chairman Tony Murray and fan Dan Barrett Davis. Did you say Kev's back in January? You had to depress us, didn't you? <laughs> Is that you booking time off time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we look forward to Kev being back. Um, yeah, he's done all right, hasn't he? Six years, this is his first sick note. Yeah. He's not yeah. even sick, yeah. is he? He's doing not something bad. else. He's a busy boy. He's a busy boy. Um, in this episode, uh, this part of the podcast, uh, we're going to have a discussion around the World Cup time rule, which has seen games go on for quite longer than we are used to. Uh, We'll also have a look ahead to the month's worth of games now that real football is back. Thank God. Hallelujah. (laughs) And, uh, and we'll uh, included in that will be the uh, recently FA cup draw the third round that pitted Luton against Wigan. But first uh, we start this part of the podcast with our uh, regular feature this season the blast from the past uh, feature which centers around the 1981-82 division two title winning side this being the 40th anniversary of that wonderful season um we're at the midfielders uh, in this episode tony and one brian horton who was the captain of that side and uh, still uh, talks very highly of luton and uh, has a new book out I've seen. Um, I don't know if you've read that one, but uh, uh, your your memories of, of the man from from his Luton career and particularly that season. Uh, an inspirational captain. Um, the final piece in the jigsaw puzzle uh, that uh, David Pleat was putting together, a magnificent team. Uh, but being honest, when um, he first came to Luton, he, he, he came from Brighton and it was... Uh, swap deal with Tony Grealish going to Brighton and uh, coming to us. Time, I uh, I was disappointed because I liked Tony Grealish. He was a good midfielder for us, and uh, I thought Brian Horton. I don't know, and and it was a similar. It turned out to be a similar sort of thing when Paul Price went to Tottenham. Um, I, you know, I, I thought what. His pleat doing, but he knew what he was doing because he had a ready-made replacement in um, Maldonigy. But Nobby was one of these players that come in and and he bossed the midfield. You know, he he was uh, a complete all-rounder. He was the driving force, and uh, he he worked really well with whoever was alongside him in midfield. Um, he helped. Ricky Hill develop his game uh, because Ricky had that older head alongside him to guide him and help him through and uh, he, he, he just bossed it and I, I don't think we would have been half the side we were without Brian Horton. We have a lot to be thankful to Nobby for. He, you know, those that you know remember him won't need me to re- remind him what type of skipper he was but um, if for those of people who don't really remember, um, you know, you can think of Steve Foster, inspiration. I mean, Kevin Nichols was the same. Yeah. Um, and and that's the type of player and skipper that Nobby Horton was. Very very good footballer. Very very good footballer. No, no did, did, and, and also you know he he left hmm. us. Uh, I think it was nineteen eighty four. Uh, he went to Hull, and that was a sad day. That was a sad day. Um, you know that Luton midfield wasn't quite the same, and, and until um, Peter Nicholas came in, and uh, you know he, he was just a great, great player for us. Always, as far as I'm concerned, always welcome at Kenilworth Road. 
great player and not a bad manager either. Yep, and certainly obviously a big part of that side uh, with the captain Arm Bannon lifted the uh, lifted the Division Two trophy. So um, obviously quite fondly remembered at, at the club. So um, what what are your favourite memories of him? Like um, just having you know he he he, he couldn't really tolerate. You know, fools. You know, um, driving. He wouldn't let anybody shirk. Um, he demanded a hundred percent from all the players around him. But one overriding memory I've got is we were playing, and this is in the promotion season. We were playing Cambridge United at home, mm. and uh, John Doherty was their manager at the time, and they were just, you know, the usual thing of putting ten men behind the ball. And they came close to scoring, and it was just one of those nights where we just nothing would go right from us. And then Brian Horton hit this shot from about twenty-five yards straight in. Because the fact when they came so close, because the dugout used to be on the other side of the pitch, and Doherty was getting up when they almost scored and turning round to us and giving it all this, <laughs> and of course. When Nobby scored, the celebrations were banging on the roof of the dugout. So <laughs> <laughs> one of the things was that was funny as well with Doc because he was a short ass Doherty was, and he got up out of his seat and somebody behind him said, "Stand up for Christ's sake, Doherty!" I was rolling about. You know? <laughs> that that um, was a great memory of, of, of Nobby Horn. It was a cracking goal as well, mm. and um, you know. You take three points any way you can. Yeah, too right. And I suppose if you've got a leader like Horton, he, you know, he's he's yeah. going to demand that. For Great you. leader. Yeah. Great leader. You know, um, in in you know, I've been lucky enough to see some great leaders play for Luton. As I, I said, and Nico was one. Yeah. You know, um, you know, uh, Fozzy, uh, Nobby Horton. Uh, even going back for that, I, I, which I just about Terry Branston, right? Yeah, yeah in in the uh, fourth division promotion winning side, um, we, we we've had some tremendous leaders uh, playing for us, and uh, it I, I I enjoy doing this. It's nice to reminisce, yeah, and talk about good times when you know that eighty one eighty two side was brilliant, best football I've ever seen Luton play. You know, one touch, passing and moving and absolutely superb. Absolutely and it, and superb. It was before the plastic pitch days as well, wasn't it? Yeah. So. And then, you know, when we got to the first division the following season, we certainly didn't disgrace ourselves. Mm. You know, there were some cracking performances. And even though, you know, we, we, we stayed up by the skin of our teeth on the last day of the season with the win at Manchester City, um, we still played some fantastic football, even in defeat. But... You know, one of my best memories is the three-all draw at Anfield against Liverpool. Mm. Because after the game, Liverpool said they were shocked at just how good we were. Mm. I, know, suppose, and, I suppose that's down to having good leadership and great yeah. players around you. Yeah. And you, you need Cracking someone in players. there in the middle to you know, steer that. It makes you, you know, look at it and you, you think, how much would, you know, Ricky Hill and, uh, you know, uh, Brian Steen... Uh, Mal Donig would be worth now yeah. if they were playing now the, the sort of players were and not just then Paul Elliott as well was another one mm. you know cracking yeah. players absolutely superb so you know very very lucky and consider myself privileged to actually see them play in the flesh yeah. I suppose you don't mind being called an old codger when you can go back to I've the, been called a season wor- like that I've been called worse Dan no well I'm trying by to be a lot better the, as well for the podcast <laughs> for the podcast purposes jeez <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's Brian Horton um, I dare say that we'll be on to the likes of Ricky Hill that you mentioned there mm-hmm. in coming up episodes um, obviously a, a legend as well uh, in, in the game uh, if we turn our attention to modern matters then we are still in the midst of this most evil and corrupt World Cup of all time. <laughs> the games are still happening, quite unbelievably, in the middle of winter. We've all had to not watch domestic football um, and had to, to put up with these games. 
One of the most debated things of this World Cup, quite aside from that rampant corruption, homophobia and human rights abuses indulged in by the host nation and FIFA, um, is the subject of marathon matches. Mm-hmm. Now, England's opening 6-2 victory against Iran lasted 117 minutes, which was the longest World Cup group stage match ever. And as of uh, the 5th of December, yesterday we're recording, my birthday, um, thank you very much, uh, there welcome. were a total of 563 minutes, which is more than nine hours of time added on to the clock at the World Cup. Um, the reason of this is that FIFA's aim has been to reduce time wasting. Uh, it's a directive that was introduced by the referee with the scariest stare of all time, mm-hmm. the Italian Pierluigi Colina, who is now the head honcho of all referees at FIFA. Uh, he said before the tournament that times of substitutions, penalties, celebrations, medical treatment, and of course the dreaded VAR, that was my bit that I added dreaded, he loves it, <laughs> Will <laughs> they will have to be compensated. Um, and in some cases in the English top flight, almost losing half of a match to uh, those things. Now, the Premier League have come out and said that they will not be implementing the strict new time stoppage regulations after the World Cup. No word from the Championship, of course, but they tend to follow suit with the Premier League. But, Tony, we all know (laughs) your uh, hate-hate relationship with uh, Wickham's tactics. It's certainly knackered (laughs) them, wouldn't it? But... (laughs) Should it be considered in the Championship and the Football League? Well, I I think the thinking behind it is right. Okay, uh, because when you when you look back on the stats of a game, did, did, you you go through the ninety minutes and you know, great game of football, but when you actually look at it and you see the amount of time that the actual ball is in play, um, is actually. Um, Unbelievably low. Yeah. So I, th- I think um, Kalina is right, but it's just shown you at these games that realistically it's it's impractical. I mean, a, a, a big thing with uh, the World Cup, and it would be with the Premier League as well, is uh, TV scheduling, and it will you know the, the TV companies won't be happy about that because it's going to bugger up their scheduling isn't it mm. um what they bought that's what they bought yeah, <laughs> yeah true but yeah i can understand that I, I think there are certain times when they should stop the clock um and there's other times when they shouldn't i mean gold celebrations and substitutions fair enough but other than that, when the ball goes out for a throw in, a corner, or goal kick, or whatever, yeah, stop it then, or you know, it, and, you know, or when a free kick's given, uh, um, restart it when the kick's taken, but or the referee indicates, but um, it's certainly a, a brave decision, and it's like everything else, you've got to try it, haven't you? Mm. Um, but. I wouldn't mind it, but as I said, it, they'd need to refine it in some way because, you know, having an extra 10 minutes or whatever is, is difficult. I mean, Wickham fans are used to it, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think everybody else, I mean, you know, are, are you going to get the situation where it's going to be like American football where a game's supposed to last an hour and then four hours later, you know, it... it most of that's adverts, isn't it? Yeah, you know that, that's why they do it for yeah. adverts. You know, I, I don't think it, haven't they? You know, but you 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 already see American influences creeping into the game, and they had the idea of doing it in four quarters, and you know, absolutely ridiculous. But no, I I, I, I like always like Kalina, who's a bloody good referee. Yeah, and I think they got the right person in charge there at FIFA, and he has to be applauded for trying it. Uh, but if you don't try it, you don't know, do you? Indeed, indeed, you've got to give these things a go. Dan, um, to play a bit of devil's advocate, 
Mm. With more football being played, are we getting more bang for our bucks? I think so. You've got less time wasting as well. I think the, the, the biggest gripe I've got with a lot of teams that especially that come to Kenilworth Road and it's been a thing throughout the years. I suppose it's a compliment to us, but teams come to us and wind the clock down. You know, you've got a goalkeeper who he'll take it from one, he'll put the ball down on one side of his goal and then he'll, he'll, he'll put his feet in the ground three times, put the ball down, have a look, take his run up and say, oh no, fuck this, I'll go the other side, pick it up and of course that wakes Kevin and everyone else up in the Kenilworth end and, and they all get all right. And, but that, it's, it's things like that and players rolling around pretending to be injured and then five minutes later running down the left way and cutting inside and scoring a banger and then running to the corner flag to taunt the opposition fans like nothing had happened. You know, you, you, you don't want to see shit like that, mm. really, especially as an opposing fan. When it, I suppose when it works for you and for Wickham, I suppose it did work a little bit. Um, it's great, I suppose, but it's one of those tactics that I'd like to see thrown out of the game really and I think if if they can do it in such a way that it stops these people time wasting like making substitutions in the 89th minute that can fuck off as well do you know what I mean I'm, I'm trying really hard not to swear but it's, it's one of those it's one of those things that really gropes me but so but I mean they, they'd still be able to do that technically and there's an argument to say that it disrupts the flow of the game so mm. you could add more time on but if you've been hanging around waiting for a couple of subs Will that still affect it? Well, I mean, now you can you can send you can, they they can go off at any point of the the nearest side, can't they? They can go off behind the goal or the nearest touchline if it's the opposite end to the subs bench. So, I think the referees need to be a bit more stronger. Dare I say, have a bit more of a backbone and say, "Oi, come on, off you go," and then perhaps give them ten seconds to walk off or card them. I think yeah, you're right. I you think just what, get strict on them. One of the things that's annoying is when you you've got. Um, we've seen several sides do it this season. Mm. They are time wasting from the word go. Yeah, and the referees don't do anything about it until the last ten, five, ten minutes. That's when the yellow card might. The referees should do it right from the start. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, th- I think, I think, and I think that's where um, someone like Kalina can have a massive influence because. I watched a lot of games that he refereed. I used to watch a lot of Italian football as a kid when it was on Channel 4. And you just see him stare at him, you know, the look that he's got. Mm. And if, I don't know about you, but if I'm a player and I see that, I'm like, sorry, sir, straight away. So, <laughs> But well, I, I think that influence needs to be filtered down across the other football associations around Europe and the world that FIFA operate with. And then filtered down into the leagues because otherwise you... you it's just going to be the same old, same old. We'll just be moaning about teams coming here, time wasting all the time, and you, you want to be talking more about a game of football. You certainly uh, haven't seen Neymar rolling about so much this World no, Cup. He actually got injured though, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Richarlison now. It's taking his crown, isn't he? <laughs> there is perhaps another uh, effect that this could have obviously if you're playing 117 minutes or you're on the pitch for 117 minutes albeit that England game there was a very lengthy stoppage for a goalkeeper that should have been just taken off the pitch and the decision yeah. taken out of his hand because he'd had a head injury and if concussion protocols are, are there to do anything it's to do that and protect players and it, it, that was a bit of a farce really but if you're out there for you know two hours essentially um then it adds to the physical strain that these players are under. I mean, we've already had a hugely congested football season already, albeit for this World Cup. Um, But it is anyway in the championship, the amount of games you have to play. And if you go deep in a cup competition at the same time, you know, two games a week, three games a week, sometimes that, that can happen. So for footballers that are already overworked essentially I know we would like to think that they should play whenever they're told to but they're not robots could this have a detrimental effect for players squads for them isn't it it is it is but I mean to go on James's point when when you look at the England Iran game you know that game stopped for about 15 minutes I think to get that goalkeeper off and when you when you stood waiting for something to happen you know I, I think in the end the players started doing mini warm-ups because your legs do get heavy when you've been running around for half an hour or whatever it is before the stoppage and then you 
you know, you're waiting around, waiting around, expecting to go back into it. You know, your legs start getting heavy and, and then you've got to run them back in and run them back in and try and get to get back up to the levels that you were at before the stoppage, you know, and, and if that keeps happening week on week, it can, it can cause long-term damage, I think, to these footballers. And I think we need to be mindful of that. And that's, that's another reason for wanting this sort of rule implemented in a way that, you know, we're not having 20 minutes added on at the end of it. You know, it, we're seeing it in a lot of World Cup games now. There's not so much rolling around now. And we're only getting two or three minutes added on for, for substitutions and, and free kicks and whatnot, which is what it should be. You know, and I, I think at the moment, the World Cup you see, and it's, it's working the way that I'd imagine Kalina wanted it to work and how the rest of us want it to work. You only want to see a couple of minutes added on. You don't want five, six or, or 30 that you get at Wickham every week. So there have been some sensible comments. Um, Thief Pro General Secretary Jonas Burr Hoffman has said that if effective playing time is increased by fifteen, ten to fifteen percent, uh, this adds substantially to the time under physical competition for players. So he says that more than anything, now it underlines how critical workload protection is for players, which needs to be established. But that's a big ask, isn't it? Um, if you go to domestic leagues and if we take for the championship, for example, which is one of the most physical and relentless leagues in the, in the world, you'd have to say, Mm. then, then to implement, implement that rule, are you looking at trimming down the division and how can that be done? It's, it's really tough one. Or to less cup competitions. Do you want to see less cup competition? Well, they, they might end up doing away with the League Cup. That'll be. I think that'll be the next one, or the Johnson's Paint Trophy, whatever it's called now. That might have to go. You don't yeah. really want me to go into a rant tonight, do you? <laughs> I love it. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> but this, uh, it really gets my goat. Um, all of this about cutting down players' time and doing with the league cut, you know, doing away with the league cup. Um, this is all a, a result of the, the Champions League, um, and it really annoys me. Uh, it, it, it's an overall thing. I mean, it annoys me when you you get more speculation and more excitement over who's going to finish fourth and actually win the league. Yeah. Um, a Champions League competition should just be for the champions. They're increasing these games. So the the, the the elite are complaining they want less games. Um, so they've already done away with their cup replays. And this is annoying because the cup, both cups, replays are a lifeline, financial lifeline, for smaller clubs lower down the league. And that doesn't seem to enter into the equation at all. So it it's a load of bollocks, the powers that be saying they care a, a, about grassroots football. They don't. All they care about is money. That's what it's all about these days, money. So, uh, you know, and, and then you get the old thing of um, they want a mid-season break. And you know full well if they did that, these clubs would then be jetting off to the Far East to play friendlies. Yeah. And I I, I think, it goes back to my feeling, is I think football needs reorganisation from top to bottom. I 100% agree with you <laughs> there yeah. on that front. Yeah. If we went, if we, if we stuck on the... The time wasting aspect, or the, the the time, what could you call it? Compensating the compensating time for time yeah. in the way that Kalina has described it. I mean, you're talking goal celebrations that could go on for a couple of minutes. Mm. Five subs now. Um, players rolling around the floor when they're not really hurt, um, and injury stoppages and stuff like that. If not those, what else can be done or could be done or should nothing be done? No, I think something should be done. I mean, um, maybe, you know, like a goalkeeper is persistently time-wasting. 
okay, rather than uh, a referee book them, action taken earlier. So if a goalkeeper knows he's consistently time-wasting and the referee pulls him up on it, should be a rule. He goes off for five minutes, mm. simbind for five minutes, and they play with ten men without a goalkeeper. That'll stop it. That'd stop it. Because this is one of uh, one of the chief gripes, isn't it, in your Wickham yeah. canon <laughs> uh, with the goalkeepers. Now, if I told you that ex-ref Mark Halsey has suggested a time limit of 10 seconds for goalkeepers and says that if they exceed that time limit on just get, distributing the ball, that is, then you punish them with an indirect free kick and a yellow card. What do you think about that? But You see, the thing is, you, you, you're relying on the referees then to implement it. You know, and, and, and so do they win? Do we then need independent timekeepers? That's their only role. Well, they've got a fourth official in a VAR yeah. team as well. What more do they want? You know, <laughs> <laughs> do you want two refs on the pitch as well? I, I don't see the thing is, as well, what you've got to remember with all you know, it, it's not going to help the clubs lower down the league. It's sad to say in this in the modern game, but money rules. Yeah, I suppose we're talking about the, the FIFA World Cup, aren't we? Where mm. you can chuck hundreds of billions of pounds at getting it there in the desert in the first place, and mm. then all the technology that currently exists, they can afford to try and try out. But how does that work in uh, you know Forest Green Rovers the, down the, the road? Of? The whole ethos behind football was supposed to be that no matter what level the game was played at, whether it was a Sunday morning pub team or Champions League game that the laws of the game and the, the way they played it and everything else was the same for mm. everybody they broke that with bringing in VAR mm. you know so I, I I think football lost its soul years ago and uh, you know sometimes I'd, I truly despair that. that's why I don't I don't watch the Premier League you know, the only football I really watch now is Luton. I don't even watch any other championship games. You know, because I, I look at it and I think, do you know what? It's boring. Whereas a few years ago, I'd watch any football that was on. Are these things that we're going to have to get used to, though, if the progression that we talked about in part one under Rob Edwards is realised, then we're going to get to the Premier League and oh, we're I, have to I'd, deal I'd, with these I'd, things. I'd, you know, I'd watch Luton go. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the the, the the only other games I tend to watch is, um, you know, apart from Luton, is uh, I'll, I'll watch Celtic against Rangers in the hope that Celtic stuff them. <laughs> yeah, I do agree. It's a tricky one. Um, I I think everybody would agree they would like to see a bit more football played, um, but I'm not necessarily sure that in the depths of a January and a February winter in England, I want to be standing outside for two and a half hours to see it happen. Um, but, uh, Saturday afternoon in Grimsby, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> but, Especially if you're getting battered four nil or something like that. And, Do you know but, what? If they brought that in, I think Wickham's games would last weeks. Then wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> There's a good chance. There's a good chance. Very good chance. Uh, Who's playing though? Unless they all got sent off. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully. Um, now the championship is back and proper football is back. We do not have to worry about Wickham, um, even though <laughs> they live rent free in Tony's mind. <laughs> no, they don't. Not, not at all. Not at all. Even I look out for them now. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, we do, however, have matches coming up. Um, and as Luton are back in action, first of all, before we get to the fixtures that are coming up in um, the Christmas period. Uh, the FA Cup draw was made uh, last week and a rather favourable draw, I would want to say. I'll get your views on it in a minute, but Luton got drawn at home uh, to Wigan Athletic uh, in the third round of the FA Cup. Obviously, the two clubs have played each other already uh, so far and Wigan got that shock late comeback win uh, um, in the last 10 minutes, which we uh, would rather forget, I would say. But um, your take on the draw, Tony? Um, yeah, I suppose it's a reasonable draw. You always hope that you'd get one of the big guys yeah, um, and get a decent payday. But 
No, I, th- I think it's uh, all right. I've got a very good chance of going through and putting right that result we had earlier in the season. So I'm, I'm quite positive and I think we'll beat them. Uh, since that result, um, that 2-1 result, the manager that engineered it, Liam Richardson, has gone mm. and Luton will be coming up against Wigan's new manager, presuming he stays for the next uh, <laughs> month. Uh, and that is... Colo Torre. That was a strange yeah. one, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's done his coaching experience with Leicester. Who um, made steady progress with Brendan Rodgers. They won the FA Cup. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they've more than held their own in the Premier League. And tried, their aim was always to become the best of the rest. And Colo Torre's CV as a player speaks for itself. You know, one... He was an invincible with Arsenal and then he moved to Liverpool and sat on the bench for six years or whatever it was. Didn't play a single minute. Um, it'd be interesting to see how he gets on. I think, you know, it's obviously his first big managerial job so we'll see what he's got to offer. Um, I'm not really sure what to expect from them to be honest with you. Um, other than hopefully they don't show up. <laughs> like they did before. Um, like you say, the less we say about that, the better. Um, because that was a shambles at the end, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a shambles. Just, we just sort end. of rolled over. I think we made a couple of bad substitutions, well, wrong substitutions, I'd say, the timings and whatever. Yeah, I, 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 I think it. I think it disrupted the the flow of the game <clears throat> from our from our side of things, and I think it sort of rejuvenated them, and they just took the chance. And so we we must make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, We'll see. I mean, with what Ed was just saying, I'm hoping that he takes the cup a bit more seriously than I think. I don't think Jones took it as seriously as perhaps we'd want him to. It was going to be my point, actually, really, because traditionally the third round of the FA Cup is one of my favourite weekends of the year. Yeah. But I think my experience of the FA Cup in the last few seasons has just, or my enthusiasm almost, has disappeared because it doesn't seem that that it has been. And I'm not particularly against that for Luton in the sense that um, the, they've made the league their priority and quite rightly so. Um, and they're not necessarily the the minnows that need the big payday no. anymore. Although it's nice and everybody would like it and everybody has a good day out if you get it. But um, but you're in favour of, uh, of, of going further as far as in the cup as possible are you then? yeah I am yeah I, I've, I mean anyone who knows me knows that when I when Luton are playing I want them to win regardless it could be the Bedford Senior Cup you know whatever it is you know I want them to win um, and the FA Cup certainly no different like you say you know growing up as a kid I used to look forward to cup final day because it was made a big thing and it was kick off at three o'clock the, the coverage started at breakfast time <laughs> carried all the way through to the end and for about an hour afterwards and you look forward to it and the weekends itself and what it can bring you, you see the memories and you know when they they talk to the lower league clubs the part-timers and what it means for them you know that you see them all getting excited at getting a league two club or a, a top conference club and then if they get to the third round you want someone like a premier league side away and it's the magic of the cup it isn't just the the finances, the financial gain that you can get as from being a, a smaller club, it's the experience as well, and the the whole thing, and then just the magic of it, and maybe just maybe pulling off a shock. I mean, we when we got to the fifth round, beating Norwich away at Carrow Road as a that conference, was brilliant, club, wasn't it? Just amazing. Yeah. I mean, and you, you can't you can't get those memories or moments like that in regular league games. So I think the the cup should be taken seriously, and I do understand the point a lot of managers make that you know we're giving minutes to our second choice keeper and a couple of others that haven't quite had the game time they'd want and they need to get up to scratch. I completely get that, but try and try and win the game and take it seriously. Don't rest your best players against you know the bigger players, the bigger sides. You know, go for it. Oh, is there a case? Lose? There might be a case to say that they've had their rest now, so you could do that this season. Yeah, do it. Mm. Do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I always want to go as far as possible and mm. you know it, it, it's like the league cup as well the, the, the early rounds you know and you see them put out a second string and you think this is disappointing mm. yeah you know because you know you, you, you can go through and, and the further you go in the competition the more money 
Well, exactly. That's, as I said earlier, that's what the game revolves around. And exactly. You, you want you want that money. Given what we have with COVID and the financial yeah. implications that we're all feeling as general public, you know, with bills and, and everything, footballers, football clubs are forever saying, you know, well, we need, you know, we need as much as we can get. Put a fucking first team out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, get the, get the money's worth out of the players you're paying and try and get into the next round and get that extra money. You know, it's, it's free money. Win a game of football, it's free money. Mm. Do it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I think <laughs> it makes sense to me. I don't understand why he wouldn't do it. Well, let, let's hope uh, when that game comes around, it's in the first week of January, um, that your hopes and dreams are realised. That's the end of the run of games that we're going to look at now. Obviously, the football season, um, or the championship season, gets back to where it should be. Um, with a couple of games before Christmas. And we'll get the first glimpse of Rob Edwards and the work he's done with the squad uh, for the last couple of weeks when they travel to Middlesbrough on Saturday. Um, Borough themselves have uh, recently installed new young manager in the shape of Manchester United player and former assistant Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Michael Carrick. He lost his first game at Preston, but since then he's won three and drawn one and has put Borra in 15th place, three points behind Luton, who are, of course, in 11th. Uh, it was on as even last season with the home teams prevailing, but Tony, how do you see this one going? It's one of these that, uh, because of what's been going on, it's quite difficult to call, isn't it? Mm. Um, just depends if uh, how, how the players react and you know, going up up there. At least um, it's not a baptism of fire for him at home. Um, if we play as we can, like the performance at Blackpool and the performance at Norwich, we can win. But then again, if you get the Stoke <laughs> yeah, uh, or the Scum game, you know, then, mm. yeah... I'd I'd be happy with the draw personally. One one. I mean, it's difficult for me. Oh, excuse me. It's difficult for me because I've got family who are Middlesbrough fans. So um, you know, there'll be a bit of uh, piss taking going. (laughs) So um, I'll I'll be happy with the draw, but I'll be ecstatic if we win it. Yeah, I suppose one of the things that we can um, potentially glean from this is how away games will be tackled because so far, really, this season, that's where most of the joy has come from, isn't it? The old 1-0 away. We've also had some dross with Bristol City and Stoke, to name just two, um, that I remember going to one and watching the other on iFollow and just being completely miserable knowing (laughs) that it was all over at half-time, really. Because we didn't come out the second half. You aren't there. You think, why do I do this? Yeah. Why do I? And that's what, that's one crazy. thing actually. Um, that to his credit, Kev raised with uh, the new manager Rob Edwards in part one in that exclusive mm. interview about um, the sheer amount of time that has taken or has gone between Luton going behind on the road and coming back to get anything from it. That's one of those things that um, Edwards said himself is that's got to change mm. and he's got to look at so I mm. think that's something that uh, we can all be pleased about it's just in the doing then isn't it but. yeah it's, it's all about putting those plans into action and trying to uh, you know and it, it starts Saturday you know I'd, I'd expect us to work from the back into like a little bit similar to what John still did I remember when he came in the first thing he wanted to do was stop stop conceding stupid goals yeah and he eventually sorted that. Well, I say eventually, it didn't take him long. He sorted that out, worked from the back. And, you know, when you got Andre Gray and Benson up front, it was always going to rain goals for us. It was just about stopping it at the end, at the other end and, you know, getting us getting us organised properly. And um, there are there are a lot of strengths in our in our back three or four, whatever he picks. Well, um, hopefully there'll be some defenders available. That's amazing, uh, it, it, it would be nice. Um, I think well, Reece Burke's back. He is, yeah. He is. Um, I just hope that he doesn't come up with the same problem that keeps happening to him because I think him and Lockyer are two of the best centre halves in the division. Um, you know, they they play for us, so when when they're fit, 
you know, we, we do look solid. Um, and I dare say when Burke's played, you know, we've, we've never really looked like losing. Yeah. And it would be good to see him for a, for a start. Yeah, uh, plus he gives us that extra dimension when he goes forward as well. He it's does. He's really a really good, really good option. Yeah. And and I like with, if one of the centre halves does charge forward, like as does happen, someone will drop in off midfield and just sit and sort of hold on to his position. And it's always someone that can recover. Mm. Um, so whether we can continue that and also maybe try not to play for a draw, obviously take the draw if you get it, but try and play for the win. Just that's how you should be. Yeah. I mean, everybody would love a win to start the Edwards era off. Um, and, uh, let's hope that they get that. Um, his first game at Kenworth Road, Edwards, that is, uh, will be Millwall. They'll be the first visitors on Sunday, December 18th, which is the first of three festive fixture kickoff time changes that people want to be aware of uh, for town, uh, with the others being Norwich in the following game on Boxing Day and then that FA Cup third round tie. Um, also, the QPR game being pulled forward to six o'clock. It has, yes, well. QPR indeed. Thanks for reminding me on that one. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so Millwall is a, a midday kickoff, and the um, the South Londoners are they're, they're flying relatively high actually in the Championship in seventh, albeit um, they're just one point ahead of the Hatters, which sort of shows the in, the incentive Town have got to sort of hit the ground running and, and climb up that table. Um, they lost their last game 3-0 to Sunderland, which bizarrely was the, the sole championship fixture played at the weekend, just gone. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure know. what the idea was I there. Don't know. spectacle to watch, I don't know it? what that was about, but it, it did definitely happen, uh, even though I checked twice. Uh, <laughs> um, before the World Cup break, there was a fairly patchy spell of one loss, two defeats, uh, on the spin and a win, having strung together four victories on the bounce in October, which is probably uh, why they are sitting where they are. It's been 17 years since Town last beat the Lions in a league game at the Kenny. You know, oh, I was there. Yeah. I remember that. Since then, <laughs> they've all been score draws at Kenworth Road. Um, with that, uh, quite frankly, astonishing fact in mind, Dan, <laughs> would you see this one going? Well, if it's a new era, so we'll win. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it, again, it's a tough one. It's coming off the back of whatever happens on Saturday against Middlesbrough. Um, was it 12 o'clock kickoff on a Sunday, which could play into our hands if it's anything like the last time we kicked off midday on a Sunday. Dare I, meant, I don't really want to mention that at all, but it's relevant, you know, Hopefully it doesn't go the way that did. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's the first home game, like you say, for Edwards in charge. Mm. Uh, that should add a little bit of something, a little bit like what I said about Harford and Rotherham earlier. Um, should just give us a little bit of a boost to, to push the players on. Um, there's that bit of added excitement there. Um, obviously Millwall have started well. They're, they're in a good position. They're only a point ahead of us, like you say. It could go, you know... I, I think home advantage should should edge us through. To be honest, well, yeah, let's let's hope so. It, it, it should be a really good atmosphere, I think, particularly if there's a decent result against Middlesbrough. Um, it's been uh, far too long <laughs> in the middle of a season for us not to have been at uh, Kenilworth Road uh, that COVID season, notwithstanding, of course. Um, and then we're into the real Christmas fixtures with a not very agreeable 7.45pm kickoff on Boxing Day against Norwich, though thankfully that one is also at home. Um, that game is a chance to do the double over Norwich after that 1-0 win at Carrow Road in October. Town haven't achieved that in the league since the 1981-82 old Division 2 winning season that Tony talked about earlier and Bright with Brian Horton um, at the top of this episode. 2-0 at home and 3-1 at Carroll Road. The game at Carroll Road, we were 3-0 up inside 20 minutes. There's some insight for you. There you go. <laughs> that should be pinned on the dressing room board. Come on, it's 40 years, <clears throat> do it. <laughs> the, uh, the Norfolk side, they are still in fifth. Um, that's largely thanks to a strong start to the season. Um, 
but they have notched just two wins in the last 10 before the World Cup break. And I dare say that means that their manager, Dean Smith, is under a fair bit of pressure. A win earlier in the season, though, Tony. Um, would you, do you see a second one? Oh, yeah, I, I, I think we'll beat them. Um, it's not going to be a lot of fun for them travelling down here for that Boxing Day game. And I mean, normally you'd think and feel for their supporters, but actually I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, don't hold back. <laughs> no, no, I know. I'll start on about that. It was crazy, crazy switching. It, it, it It's a typical Sky thing, isn't it? Um... And it, it, it's going to throw a lot of people out, isn't it? I, I expect the attendance to be well down for that game anyway. But no, I think we, we can beat them. We, we won't need an incentive for that. I think the guys, the players will be up for it and they'll they'll want to do them again. And I, I think we'll, we can do them 2-0. With the World Cup break that we've just had, we're thankfully coming out of, mm-hmm. for a team like Norwich, who've been on the skids, is that the other side of the coin where it's really good for them? The break. It could be. Mm. It could be. Um, you know, but it's fifty-fifty, isn't it? They could, they could just carry on. But um, I mean, they're not going to have any new players, and they're going to have the same no, manager. So, no, exactly. And uh, you know, a lot of it is uh, trying to lift their spirits. And if they haven't been doing it before, I don't think it will change. It's a good time to play him. Yeah, Tony's yeah, pre- apart yeah. from the kickoff time. Tony's predicting then a, a, the forty-year-long wait for a league double over Norwich. It's got to come it's at some stage. Isn't it? <laughs> Why not now? <laughs> um, Luton have a fairly, fairly ominous record of dispatching a few managers in the recent seasons with their victories, yeah. and the the old hashtag teams like Luton often comes out in these situations. But one team that have recently been relieved of theirs. Um, or the manager has relieved himself is QPR mm. with oh, funny, Mick Beale going so to funny. Glasgow Rangers um, yeah. I, I, I talked glowingly of him in probably the last podcast I think it was if not that the one before I remember you saying quite yeah yeah where he turned down a move to Premier League Wolves uh, saying that if he can't be the first one to jump ship and then um, his old club uh, Glasgow Rangers come calling of course he was under um Stephen Gerrard there and he's gone back there in a heartbeat to to be the manager so I mean that's that's uh, that's north of the border and uh, we don't care about that apart from when <laughs> Tony wants to watch uh, Celtic beat them on the telly um, but Rangers are currently without a manager Neil Critchley is being touted as the odds on favourite for that role as we speak uh, we've been there <laughs> with yeah. Luton he he too was uh, touted as one of the odds on favourites um, I'm pretty glad that he, he he wasn't whether he got anywhere near I have no idea but the one thing with him is if Stephen Gerrard gets a job somewhere does he just hightail it and go and go mm. and work for them like he did leaving Blackpool to to go for them anyway that's uh that's that's Rangers lookout and we don't care about that. Um <laughs> uh, but the West Londoners host the Hatters on December 29th in a 6 p.m. kickoff. Um uh, Luton of course warmed up for that Norwich win in October with a 3-1 romp past Scoop Yard, uh, which was their first league win against the R's in 14 years. Uh, the 1984-85 season was the last time Town did the league double over QPR, but that's up for grabs as well, Dan. Mm. What do you take on that one? Well, we always don't do very well there, do we? The Loftus Road, whatever it's called now. Um, but is the Edwards era about to change? It's, uh, well, yeah, I mean, my theory was on that for the last, for the previous time game was that it's going to change. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> why not? I mean, you know, QPR will be a little bit wounded by the fact that you know, Beal, like you said before, had turned down the Wolves job and then his old clubs come crawling back. So come, come back. <laughs> <laughs> and he's sort of, yeah, he's, he's, he's gone. Um, and I think, yeah, they, that, that they'll be gutted about that. And it might still it must be, be a sickener it, because it, it must be, yeah, because it, everyone unless, talking about 
the loyalty thing, yeah. which doesn't often come up in a positive frame of reference no, in football, it but it was then it for was about then, five minutes. Which is bizarre because he was only in the job for, what, five months? Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually quite happy for them. Yeah. Because they were actually taking the piss out of us with Nathan Jones going. Yeah, they, they were. were. So, you know. Yeah, I, I, I let them do all that. You know, I, I like people having a go at Luton because it just means we're doing something right. Yeah, you know, I had Coventry yeah. fans when we beat them in League One telling me that they didn't like Nathan Jones because he comes up to the crowd chest pumping and stuff. Um, let's not go there with the chest pumping, but you know, f- for us, you know, it's an advantage mm. because we just won the game and he's just celebrating with his fans. And I said, "Well, what do you want? Do you want Mark Robbins to just chew his gum and hands in his pockets and then just walk out back up the tunnel like nothing's happened?" You know, <laughs> some people do want that. Some, yeah, some yeah. people do want that, and it's probably better without the chest pumping and pretending you love the club, etc. But going off topic here a little bit. Um, but yeah, so the, I, th- I think the I, th- I, th- I think all the off-field stuff with the change of managers at QPR, they do have quite a big turnover of managers, not quite as bad as Watford do. Um, but of course, by the time that game happens, they may well have they, uh, got a Christmas well, present with a new manager. Well, this, this is it. We, I don't know. I'm not privy to. It could be Yaya Tori. It could be. <laughs> Can you imagine that? That chant will come back, won't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the one. Um, but it, it 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 really depends on who they get in. It, you know, they could make a really good decision. I know Les Ferdinand's involved in the. He's sort of the Mick Arthur of QPR. He sort of does a lot for them. Um. So they'll they'll have I'm sure they'll have an idea of who they want, but whether they go for a well travelled manager like they usually do, or whether they've gone down the route with someone like Beale, a young manager that wants to prove himself. And again, that's just something we're going to have to wait and see because the game's what is it three weeks away? Yeah, three and a half been, weeks away. So yeah. you know, th- which isn't a lot of time when you've got a game on Saturday. So I'm kind of glad that we did it when we did it, and, and they they probably might not they might not have had a succession plan because they thought they probably would have thought after getting a young manager that he'd yeah. have been there for a while. And then when he turned down the Wolves job, they'd have felt emboldened by that and that he'd yeah. be there to stay. And then this might have knocked them sick a little bit. When you, when you appoint a new manager and I know Gary said about, we've been looking for three years, you know, Nathan's been back, what, two and a half before he went again. Um, when you appoint a new manager, you don't really want to be still looking, <laughs> yeah. especially within six months, actively having to. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, that'll be a real sickener for them, as we've said. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I don't know how organised QPR are, how prepared they were for that, and whether they've spoken to people and they've turned them down, or whether they've they've not thought of someone and suddenly thought, "Well, oh, hang on a minute," and then they've gone, "Well, if I'm not first choice." blow you sort of thing so I, I think recruiting a manager is a lot harder than what people give credit for you know I mean any one of us would love a top job in the, in football wouldn't you you'd love the money that comes with it and you know to be out of a job in six months and get three years pay for it bring it on you know yeah. <laughs> the thing is whoever gets that job isn't going to have the same amount of preparation time that Rob Edwards has no exactly so and, that's, and, that's, and that again proves the point about how well run we are as a football club off the field and talking about progress off the field, you know, we, we are, we are very lucky to have who we've got in charge. They might, they might not have all the money in the world, like your Roman Abramovich's or your, your shakes and whatnot, but they do things right. And they do things right by the football club, its supporters and everybody else. And, and not only that, they're, they're very business savvy and they're very prepared for whatever eventuality May, occur, a, may or may lot, not occur. So there's a lot of clubs looking at our model. Yeah, you know. So oh, as they should do. I think yeah. it's the it's the way you should be running a football club. As I think we've said many it's times brave, on this it's podcast. Brave thing in this day and age with all the money floating around yeah. betting companies and stuff like that, and like Netflix documentaries and you know Wrexham anyone. <laughs> you know, it's just you know we we're not a club that smells the millions of pounds and just takes it over the fundamentals of what what a football club we're about. Yeah, no, quite right. And rightly so. Quite right. And let's hope the uh, QPR equivalents are still sixes and sevens <laughs> after their Christmas turkeys <laughs> gone cold. That's the, for sure. The good thing was we broke the hoodoo. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, hopefully that the floodgates open <laughs> then because I'd quite like to go to Loftus Rose and come away come away with a smile <laughs> instead yeah. of a, uh, the usual feeling. Uh, that That's for sure. 
Um, New Year's Day brings the first return to Huddersfield's John Smith Stadium since that playoff defeat of last season and the disgraceful scenes from Terriers fans at the end of the game. Um, a 3-3 draw was the result at the Kenny back in October uh, where Luton did their very best to give <laughs> Huddersfield a point uh, courtesy of two own goals and a very soft penalty. Um, since then... Just three wins in nine before the World Cup break for Huddersfield. And they are rooted gloriously, I think, <laughs> to the foot of the championship table. Um, are we going to have another six-goal thriller in this one, Tony? Hopefully, but all six of them <laughs> scored by us. Um, looking forward to that, actually. I, I, I think we we'll, we can win there. Indeed. You know, I think um, they'll be more worried about us than we are about them. I mean, that's how it should have gone in the first fixture, really, because they were still struggling then, wasn't it? But yeah. uh, as long as um, uh, Pelly knows where the <laughs> which way he's shooting... <laughs> then, oh, that's right. harsh on him. <laughs> yeah, it, is harsh. it is, it is. And he's actually been very good um, in, uh, in the games that he has played, apart from that early... Uh, that early goal for Rotherham where he probably could have got out a bit quicker, but uh, yeah, hopefully he's getting back up to speed as well in, in terms of one of those players that, that has been out for some time and who really we miss. I think um, he's such an engine. Um, and then of course, after that game, uh, it is into the FA cup, which we have already discussed, but uh, can I press you for a, a result in that one? gents? It's the unknown again, isn't it? <clears throat> so we're two nil to Luton. <sighs> Both to score. Two one Luton. I think we'll take that. We'll take that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, not not a point dropped in those games coming up in the uh, the start of the Rob Edwards era. So very say we're confident people. Positive, <laughs> positive all round. Not a point dropped. And into the fourth round of the FA Cup, which is what we like to see uh, mm -hmm. uh, for the end of this year and well, the start. I, I notice you're not giving any predictions, James. I don't have to anymore. I am, <laughs> I am the host of this shindig. I don't have to embarrass myself with oh, my you terrible can at least give something for Kev to fall on when he comes back <laughs> next month. <laughs> no, I'm hopeful in all of those games, to be fair. There's some teams in disarray. And although it's a slightly unknown, uh, a step into the unknown with Rob Edwards, he has had that time to prepare them. I like everything he says. Mm. I like everything that uh, they've tried to instill so far in in the club. Um, I'm positive about everything about this appointment, actually. The one thing that I'm slightly reserved about is um, there was that magic with, with Jones wasn't there and whether you can recreate that or whether, I don't know, maybe you don't need to recreate it. Maybe you just have a strong plan and you implement it. But there was that magic, which um, is the one thing that you, I'm not sure you can really account for. Um, even though I did ask Gary Sweet that and he said that you could. So uh, what do I know? Um, he's the man steering the ship. So <laughs> um, let's, let's hope he's uh, right as he often is. And I'm wrong as, as I often am. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah that is uh, that is the end of the podcast uh, thank you to Tony and Dan for their insights and to Kev uh, for that um, part time work on this one <laughs> and that, no but fabulous interview with Rob Edwards that you heard in part one um, we do hope that uh, everything he says comes true Mm -hmm. um, normal service will be resumed no doubt in the January podcast which will be out in the first uh, week uh, first weeks of January and certainly ahead of that visit to West Brom that uh, visit of sorry West Bromwich Albion when they come to Luton uh, but until then um, thanks to the guys um, and most importantly thanks to you guys out there for listening uh, if you haven't already don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast and you'll get it sent to your inbox or wherever you listen to podcasts whenever it's available um, and if you're on the social media hit those likes and those shares um, we really appreciate it uh, and we hope you have a magnificent christmas and new year 
which of course is code for real football is back. <laughs> <laughs> See you all in 2023.